<laughs> oh my god. I, I, I think I think they ended up okay. If um <laughs> if they sounded bad, I'm sure we would have heard something about it, right? No, I think people would just stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably true. I mean with, with the whole issue of I don't know if you saw um uh, my my tweets from the podcast account about the cover art. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, I was gonna tweet. I was like, man, Ted's what? out here picking fights with like all the podcasting platforms. <laughs> like, I don't know what was going on. Like, I, I for for the last like two months or so, Podcast Addict has not shown our 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 episode specific <laughs> artwork. It, it's just defaulted to the show artwork. Mm-hmm. And then I tweeted them. They're like. This isn't an issue. We've been working with this for eight years. Go go fuck yourself. And I'm like, look, I'm literally showing you that it's not doing this. And I, I, I Yeah, I and then they were like, well, it's an RSS thing. So and then Libsyn got involved too. And they were like, send us your whatever. And I was like, man, Ted is like Ted like kicked a hornet's nest. So I, I, I ended up sending the sending a support ticket to Libsyn. And I, I think I found out what was wrong. So as of as of last week's episode, um, you should be seeing the episode specific cover art or not cover art, the episode specific artwork whenever you download the show, because there is there's the show artwork that says no hugging, no learning in the middle of the fucking graphic yeah uh, but then there's also episode specific which is just like screenshots or whatever from each episode yeah, we talk about it at the end Ex- of every show exactly well that <laughs> and um oh man uh the name the name is not coming to me right now but someone even tweeted they're like oh yeah i just figured i didn't get that with apple Podcasts," and i'm like no everyone should see this no why why is this happening well i didn't know it was an issue because i use pod picker which like is is like so bare bones and and that's all i've ever gotten that's all i get for any pod i don't know if any other podcast does you know episode specific artwork because it's all just the default artwork for every single episode and i was like well whatever what did spotify do did did spotify did you get Spotify involved? I thought I saw their name. I um, Spotify I has been Sp- Spotify has been no issue. Like I I, I tweeted a screen oh, yeah, cap of them as well, and I was like, "Look, here's how it should look, and here is Podcast Addict." Yeah, and like I, I and, and I'm not trying to like throw Podcast Addict under the bus. I don't know why they were so eager to like pick a fight back with me. I I love Podcast Addict. That's the app I've been using for like eight years now. It was just plain speak. It was just plain, oh and that can seem harsh over text, like when no, you're dealing with no, a customer service that, person. Not only that, but like the dot 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 at the very end <laughs> after it was like we've been working on this for eight years now. Dot dot dot. I'm like. Uh, oh, ouch, <laughs> that really hurt. Each one of those dots is another stab. <laughs> yeah, dot, 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 thread continued. We're going to kick Ted's ass. <laughs> God damn it. Thanks, podcast addict. <laughs> You're going to get a podcast ass kick. It uh, kind of uh, rhymed. It sounded, it sounded better in my head. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You've had worse puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so should we get going? Might as well. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. Today we will be talking about The Friars Club, Season 7, Episode 17. But before that, we did have some... uh, We had quite a bit of homework, actually, especially comparatively, because it's been kind of light the past couple weeks. But uh, we had some homework from The Doll, the previous episode. First, uh, Jerry is booked on The Charles Grodin Show, and we... Kind of wanted to do a little dive on Charles Grodin. Kind of the touchstone for both me and Ted was 
Beethoven, although you you didn't know that that was Charles Grodin in that movie, right? No, I had no idea. Yeah, you just knew like Funny Dad or whatever. Um, and I think my intro to Charles Grodin came perhaps a little bit earlier, but Beethoven and Clifford, the movie I mentioned with uh, Martin Short, were really kind of my big two touchstones for him. But uh, in case you don't know, he's 85. He's still alive. Uh, yeah. He's an, an American actor, comedian, author, and former television talk show host, as we know, born in Pittsburgh. I did Whoa. not know Charles Grodin was a Pittsburgher. I didn't either. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I want to bring up. Uh, literally the afternoon after we recorded the doll, uh, yeah. I want to say I've kind of fallen down into a hole of watching Watch Mojo videos on YouTube, and I watched a video of the top twenty worst SNL hosts of all time. Oh. And Tim, this was so weird. This was the afternoon after we recorded this episode. Number eighteen was Charles Grodin. In what did they say about his? Because I have a little bit about that here, but what was what was so bad about it? Uh, they just said he was very wooden. Um, yeah. none of his jokes really landed. You could tell he was reading the cue cards the whole time. Uh, uh it's just not, not great, you know? So it, 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 and I guess being number 18 on a top 20 list isn't that bad, but just yeah. to make the list at all is probably pretty bad. Especially because you have to go back to 1977, like oh pretty God, much right yeah. when the show premiered. And, and, and you so have, many like, of them did. Yeah. So many of them did. Like, uh, they had Frank Zappa on the list. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the show isn't this, you know, if you're comparing it to last, you know, the season finale or, you know, whatever the last episode was and the the first episode, <laughs> they were two totally different shows. Like, yeah. they'd have magicians on and stuff. They ha It was like a variety show, you know, like the, the sketches would, would go on for like 30 minutes. It was like, well, oh, I mean, no. you know, like wasn't the same. Yeah. Oh, trying to watch no. that is so different from from today. Like the humor is just different, you know, <laughs> stuff like that evolves. Um, but I'll but I'll mention what I thought they might and I, maybe this had came up in the video you watched. But um, so let me so he began uh, acting in the 60s, appearing on TV. And then in the 70s, he started in film, including the lead in Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid in 1972, which I mentioned because not only was that Charles Grodin's big break, but also it was remade in 2007 by the Farrelly Brothers with Jerry Stiller's son, Ben. Uh, of course, Whoa. Ben Stiller. Yeah. Okay. So a little, little Seinfeld connection there. Uh, and he was in Midnight Run with De Niro. That got him a lot of attention in 88. And so aside from his film work, he was a frequent presence on television. And the way he described what the way he was on SNL was kind of the way, like he was Mr. Dry sense of humor. Like think of a, he was like kind of like always a funny dad mm -hmm. and, you know, somebody who says something and then like rolls their eyes at their own joke. Like, oh God, you know, oh brother, you know, like that kind of thing. But just like... <sighs> Uh, just very dry. I mean, the, sort of the king of dry comedy. So in 77, he hosted SNL. And according to Wikipedia, the entire episode revolved around his forgetting that the show was live and proceeding <laughs> to wreck sketches because of his failure to prepare accordingly. So I don't know if they touched on that at all. But <laughs> That sounds awful. Oh, my yeah. God. That sounds like a a, a a starter idea for a skit that might like for one skit like oh the host keeps forgetting it's live and says let's you know okay but what's what's the idea after that like yeah but I like the know, whole that's, show that's <laughs> I guess I don't know uh, interestingly enough Paul Simon I think was the musical guest as he frequently was I think on those first couple episodes of of SNL because I think he was friends with Lauren Michael <laughs> or something like that. And so I think they called Paul Simon like literally all the time, uh, just constant musical guest to Paul Simon. <laughs> oh my god! Um, his many, but he was on the on talk shows a ton in the seventies because of this, you know, dry sense of humor, and also like it can be kind of biting and sarcastic, and 
he would always in these, you know, when he was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson or Letterman, he would like start confrontations with them and be like mock angry. Uh, one time, supposedly Johnny Carson, it says, quote unquote, banned him from the Tonight Show after taking <laughs> offense at things Groden had said. NBC would receive angry letters from viewers who didn't understand the joke that he was, you know, that he was being funny or playing this persona or something like that. Um, his appearances on Letterman would sometimes erupt into shouting and name calling, but Letterman always enjoyed Groden's segments. I think because of this, you know, little game he would come on and play, mm-hmm. you know, giving Letterman guff, and then Letterman would give it back, and it was it was more of a it was you know more concept comedy than you know, hey, w- tell me about uh, this Beethoven movie that you're in. <laughs> Um, the other touchstone that I had for Charles Grodin was the Great Muppet Caper. He plays the bad guy in the Great Muppet Caper, which is awesome. Uh, very, very funny in that the uh, the jewel thief or whatever they're trying to do. I, I forget. I haven't seen it. it. Came out in 1981. That's the year I was born. So, <laughs> um, Grodin's career took a turn in '92 when he played the nervous family man George Newton in Beethoven. Uh, the film was a box office hit. He reprised the role in the 93 sequel, Beethoven's Second, and then in '93 he played Harrison Winslow in the movie Heart and Souls, which we've already talked about, and I really want to watch again because every time I read about it, I'm like, God, this movie was so great. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is the star of it, and it also has, we've talked about it before because it has Ren T. Brown uh, plays a role in it, and that's the guy who asked Kramer why he's not wearing a ribbon in The Sponge, which I think was earlier just this season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It seems so long ago. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so another Heart and Souls uh, and a Seinfeld crossover there with Charles, but it's such a great movie. Like, uh, it's the one where Robert Downey Jr. has like five invisible friends, but they turn out not to be invisible friends. They turn out to be souls that that (laughs) need to do one last thing on earth before they get to heaven and it's just absolutely i, I mean I, I just love it it's it's very uh, very heartwarming and for i don't normally like movies like that but i recommend it he was also in dave in 93 another movie that i love he plays dave's buddy who like comes and helps him balance the u.s budget <laughs> not dave the fx comedy with a little dicky about, oh, no. about his penis right <laughs> no not that okay anything but that um, in 94, after the much delayed release of that movie Clifford, in which Groden portrayed the frustrated uncle opposite Martin Short, who was playing Clifford, a 12 year old boy. Uh, so yeah, Martin Short, who was like 50 at the time was playing a 12 year old boy. It's, it's really a weird movie, <laughs> but it's, it's really funny in its absurdity. Uh, he retired after that. And from 95 to 98, that's when he hosted his own issues oriented talk show, the Charles Groden show on cnbc it doesn't even have its own wikipedia page you can't even click on it yeah you can't even click on it and get any info about the charles (laughs) groden show i was kind of shocked about that the fact that it was on cnbc yeah oh yeah cnbc yeah oh boy uh yeah so i i don't know anything um anything besides when it was on and jerry seinfeld might have been a guest (laughs) and it's also jose carrera we don't know um, so after a 12 year long hiatus from film to stay at home with his kids, uh, Groden returned to acting in the Zach Braff comedy, the X with Jason Bateman. I'm not familiar. Do you remember mm, that? No, I have no idea. Uh, in 2010, he started really ramping up, uh, more acting appearances like on law and order SVU, the Michael J. Fox show. Uh, he had some supporting roles in films. Uh, here we go. In 2015, Groden was cast. And I remember this in a recurring role in. The uh, it was, we've already mentioned acclaim FX shows. How about Louis? Oh, ooh. <laughs> oh, oh no! Yeah. So he played Louis C.K.'s uh, philosophical doctor and mentor, <laughs> Doctor Bigelow, in season four and five. And in an interview, Groden said, 
Uh, I find Louis C.K. to be the single most talented person that I've ever worked with. He's a wonderful director, writer, and actor. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just a shame that someone, you know, because I enjoyed Louis C.K. We've talked, you know, we talked at length in earlier episodes when it's come up. I don't know why it has come up, but I think we have talked at length. And, like, you know, it just sucks when it's all ruined and you can't, like, you know, you don't want to give money or support anything. Yeah, I thought he was was hilarious. Yeah, I thought he was hilarious when I was in college. And then all that stuff came out and it's, oh, God, he's a... He's a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then starting in 2000, so uh, going back to like right around when the, his talk show ended, he became a political commentator for 60 Minutes 2, which I don't even think is on anymore. Maybe it is. Um, <laughs> 60 Minutes 2? 60 Minutes 2, yeah. I, I, guess didn't it was like another, was a, I didn't even know this was a thing. I think it was like a midweek issue of the show or something. You know how like they started putting Dateline on every night? I, I think it might have been like that. Okay, okay. Uh, Groden's commentaries continue to be heard on New York City radio station, WCBS, and other affiliates of the CBS radio network, as well as on the CBS radio network's weekend roundup. So, yeah, he does little, I guess, kind of probably Paul Harvey-ish or uh, sort of that style little opinion pieces for that. So, yeah, uh, radio dude, too. How uh, how old is that article? Because uh, if I remember correctly, CBS Radio isn't a thing anymore. I think they oh, got yeah. bought out by Entercom. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how that affected him. Let me see. Groden, what's it called? <laughs> Groden's. What would it, uh, what can we call his radio bit? Groden's grinded gears or something like that. Gr- I think would Groden's be. Groden's grody uh, <laughs> gripes. Yeah. This is Groden's gripes. Uh, um, We're going to talk about Louis C.K. today. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I can't tell if you can still hear him anywhere. If anyone knows, let us know. <laughs> let us know. Uh, so that's uh, that's way too much about Charles Groden <laughs> for a guy who nah, like, nah, he got nah. Jay Leno to be on, and they couldn't even get Charles Groden to like appear. Yeah. You know, on the show. <laughs> they, they, they actually got Jay Leno on camera, and then Charles Grodin is just, like, the name. That's it. Yeah, yeah that, that's all it is. Um, it's not like him saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to be on The Tonight Show, and then we never see him. It's like, no, we saw Jay Leno. Um, <laughs> it, it, would, it would be... It wouldn't be as bad if they weren't back-to-back episodes, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's so weird that he had... Back-to-back episodes, you know, he was going to be on TV twice, and he had no new material. How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, for real. What the hell? Why is he going on this press tour, and it's well-established in both episodes that he has nothing new? N- not only that, but he's going on an opinions show on yeah. CNBC. What does he need material for? I guess you're right. Yeah, they would have talked about something. It would have been, like, politically incorrect or something like that. Like, yeah, it's not going to be It's not going to be a normal talk show, right? Yeah, probably not, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, so we wanted to know what the connection between FedEx and Memphis was because I seem to remember whenever I would fly into Memphis, there just being like just a shitload of FedEx planes and trucks, and it seemed like they owned like all the land around the airport and and was storing stuff there and warehouses. And uh, so FedEx is, of course, uh, the multinational delivery service headquartered in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh. So that is where they're headquartered. All yeah. Right. Uh, founded in 71 uh, as Federal Express by Frederick W. Smith from Yale, he began formal operations in 1973 when he moved the operations to Memphis. So it's pretty much always been there. Besides its location near the center of the country, 
Memphis International Airport almost always stays open in inclement weather. So, mm, yeah, I guess wow. that, that makes sense if you're going to ship stuff somewhere. You don't want it to be at a place where they're not going to be able to, you know, there's a lot of winter weather that's and true. things like that. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, smart dude, Yale, you know, that's that Yale uh, education. <laughs> uh, FedEx also sponsors, of course, we, uh, well, I guess neither of us are like huge sports fans, but I did know that FedEx Forum is definitely in Memphis and is the home of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I totally forgot oh. all about that. But yeah, that explains why, why they've sponsored, you know, that uh, big arena there. Uh, all right. Are you ready to learn way too much about billiards? <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to whether I want to or not. So uh, when they are about to start playing the first game on Frank's new pool table in George's room, uh, Frank suggests playing eight ball. And then Kramer goes, no, I only play straight pool. And I was <laughs> I was under the impression that eight ball was basically the only thing. To, I mean, I knew I guess nine ball is a thing, too. But those were the only two games that I knew. And I didn't know what straight pool was. Mm-hmm. But straight pool is like literally the name of a game of pool. It's not like, you know, it's not pool. But Kramer was using the word straight to differentiate it from, you know, like like the word regular. No, I only play regular pool. Like, no, it's literally called straight pool. <laughs> and the shooter may attempt to shoot at any ball on the table, regardless of color or number. So oh. that's a big Uh, change from eight ball the goal is to reach a set number of points determined by agreement before the game one point is scored for each object ball pocketed where no foul is made and if you do foul during the game that's a one point deduction and the third consecutive foul at any time results in a loss of 15 points so a typical game might require a player to score 100 points to win so every ball is a point and you have to sink i guess 100 balls which is crazy yeah that's why their game was lasting three hours not just the tiny room but I mean that that certainly you know exacerbated it. Um, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in professional competition, straight pool is usually played to one twenty-five, uh, and you do have to call every pocket, meaning the player has to indicate the intended object ball and the mm. pocket on every single shot. And if you don't make it, that's a foul, I guess, or something. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was the primary version of pool that was played in professional competition until it was superseded by faster playing games like nine ball and eight ball in the seventies. So you might wonder, how do we get to a hundred points? And it's just by every time there's only one ball in the cue ball left, you re-rack and you break again. Oh my God. That sounds yeah. like a nightmare. I know. <laughs> I already think pool is too long playing eight ball. I'm like, all right, are we, are we, are we done? done? Are we done here? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Most of the time, because if I'm dragged into a a pool game at a bar or something like that, it's by somebody who like really wants to play and is probably <laughs> good. And I'm like, you're not gonna like playing me because I I'm not good. Like I'm not good at any sport, yeah. and I include billiards, you know. So uh, <laughs> you, you, made, and like especially if it's like two guys want to play. Hey, you guys want to play? Like you guys can be a team, and we'll be a team. Like. Oh, no. You, you do not want me on your team for any sport. Like, you're just going to be mad at me by the end and of the like, night. And, like, you're not just saying that for hustling reasons. Like, no. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, we're not oh, trying we, to we hustle got, you. We got a wise guy here who thinks he's not yeah. good at pool, huh? Like, like no, no, I, no I, I swear I'm very bad. I don't want to play because I don't want my this acquaintance who is like not who's just like a friend of a friend to be mad at me at the end of the night. That's, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want probably- this to come up in conversation weeks later about how bad I am at pool because trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the next time that this friend is invited out by the friend that we have in common, he'll go, "Oh, is Tim going to be there?" And then not come if I am. <laughs> That's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> 
Um, so eight ball, as everybody knows, in case you don't know, in case you don't, in case you know even less about sports than than I do, eight ball after the balls are scattered with a break shot, a player is assigned either a group of solid or striped balls. Once they have legally pocketed a ball from that group, and the object of that game is to legally pocket the eight ball in a called pocket, which can only be done after all the balls from your assigned group have been cleared from the table. So you have to hit all the stripes in, and then the eight ball at the end of the game, and that is the most frequently played discipline of pool. And Wikipedia says eight ball is often thought of synonymous with the word pool when you say pool these days, not straight pool like Kramer, who only plays games from like the 1960s, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess that that makes sense why he's friends with Jerry, who only yeah. watches TV and movies from the 1940s. That's true. They both they both think culture peaked like before, <laughs> uh, you know, the 1960s. But before most people owned vehicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's just uh, yeah. That's all. That's all about pool. Uh, is Jose Carrera in the episode the doll as the other guy? It is not actually Jose Carrera, even though he is shot from the front several times. We still didn't know whether it was him or not. It's John ah. Lizzie. John Lizzie as credited, and he's credited as the other guy. <laughs> so they never actually say Jose Carrera, which is funny. Interesting. Okay. Except I guess the maestro does. No, he doesn't. He doesn't even say it. He goes, oh, that's my favorite tenor with those other two guys. They never say his name in the whole episode, I don't think. <laughs> I think you're right. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> Elaine calls him Mr. Camaro. And, and then another, you know, she can't read his name. Well, that's interesting. So they never call him Jose Carrera. I wonder if that was to get around some sort of legality or whether it's just a funny thing. Like, let's never refer to him. Let's, like, make sure people <laughs> definitely don't know his name. <laughs> I think that's funny. And and a little and a little bit of a fuck you to Jose Carrera too. <laughs> like, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like you're always going to be the other guy. We're not <laughs> even going to give you the dignity of using your name. <laughs> uh in this character of you. Um when the episode script was brought so that's all the homework we had, but there's some other trivia. When this episode script was brought to the read through, it was titled The Doormat and included a plot line in which Elaine's portrait is painted in pastels. And Elaine thinks the artist painted it because he's infatuated with her. But then he sells the portrait to Frank, who puts it in the pool room. And when the maestro is playing pool with Frank and Kramer, he backs into the portrait and it imprints the image of Elaine's face onto his underwear. Uh, It sounds all pretty complicated. And when the script underwent significant rewriting uh, after the read through, Larry and Jerry thought that portrait of Elaine story was just too complicated (laughs) and replaced it with the Jose Carrera story. (laughs) Uh, rightly so. And David also tweaked the George story, come up, coming up with the idea that of a doll that looks like George's mom. In the original script, there was just a creepy doll with no individual doll standing out. It was just the whole collection that freaked him out. And they came up with the idea of singling, especially this one out that looked exactly like his mom. Writers Tom Gamble and Max Prose encountered the practice of wearing no pants before a show in order to maintain the crease while vis- visiting their friend Sam Denoff backstage with Jerry Lewis. Denoff was an American screenwriter and television producer. He did the Dick Van Dyke show and uh, hmm. and stuff like that. And I don't know whether Sam did it or Jerry did it or both did it, but it sounds like Sam, I guess. Maybe yeah. both. I can't. It's, it's kind of ambiguous. <laughs> I can see Jerry Lewis doing that, though. That's that's kind of funny. Yeah. Gamble and Prose came up with Jerry's predicament in the episode because they were amused by the idea of Seinfeld, who in real life fastidiously prepared for every show, having no material ready out of apparent laziness. Uh, and there was a resolution to the episode that was filmed but deleted due to episode length. In the unused climatic scene, Jerry is inspired to go on stage without his pants and tell the story of why he's not wearing any pants, which earns tremendous laughs from the audience and presumably an off-camera Charles Grodin. 
Um, but that that is that I do like that because it kind of ends with a pause, like because Jose Carrera has just wiped his face on Jerry's pants, and why did he have him off in the first place? And something else also has just oh he doesn't have the the barbecue sauce. So I do like that we got a we'd get a little bit of resolution from that, you yeah. know. Yeah, it, you're you're right. It, it just kind of ends. Yeah, but then again, I I like I always like it when you know they they don't win at the end. You know, like he's he's just screwed, and that's kind of how it ends. Like we're like, oh, he must be screwed, and what did he do? We don't we don't know. But that's true. if it turned in, if it turned into a victory, I feel like that might be a little antithetical to the show. Uh, if it if it actually turned out everything worked out for him. But then again, Jerry's even Steven. You know, everything does work out for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, other cutscenes include George awkwardly confronting his mother after sleeping with the doll and Frank <laughs> carrying his large package for Carlo on the flight to Tuscany. I referenced this. I was like, he picks up this big package and walks away. So they did film this. Frank has this huge box on the plane for Carlo Costanza, making the passengers beside him very uncomfortable. And the later scene also revealed the contents of the package. Frank was re-gifting the doormat. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that would have been a pretty good callback. <sighs> Yeah, because, like, <laughs> we just see him with this giant box, and it means yeah. nothing. Yeah, no idea. Uh, according to the writers, again, most guest stars on Seinfeld kept a polite distance from the regular cast during production. But Kathy Griffin, can you believe it? She didn't care. She uh, she would oh. freely and sometimes loudly engage the show's stars in conversation. Um, Griffin later performed a, a stand-up bit alleging that Jerry was rude to her during filming. But I guess <laughs> Jerry was amused by it. Uh, and had it written into a later episode that I won't spoil for you, but I think I've already mm. referenced the Kathy. We haven't seen the last of of Kathy Griffin. Okay, okay. Uh, and George's line that really stuck out to me, I'm on no sleep, bro, was actually inspired by writer Bruce Kirschbaum, who would say it frequently. I'm on no sleep, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an episode co-writer Tom Gamble recalls Kirschbaum saying it and claiming that he'd been up for 24 hours straight just to work on one line for Jerry. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Uh, and someone also noticed this one final note that Kramer, I guess, is no longer freeballing it. You might remember uh, a while back, Kramer decided oh, yeah. that he was going to stop wearing underwear in order to uh, maintain his sperm count. But <laughs> when you see him playing pool, he's in boxers. So um, I like to think that, you know, he suggested they take off their pants to, to save the crease, but was like, um, but, you know, I'm not. Con- I think he borrowed some from Frank. That's my head canon. That you Frank lent he, him. You think he borrowed boxers. Frank's boxers? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Even clean, but that just seems like something each one of those oddballs would be okay with. Like, can I borrow a <laughs> pair of boxers? Oh, sure. So we can take our pants off and play pool. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, that is it. Oh boy. Okay. Do you have I any know. other news or anything? Not that I saw. Okay, well, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last half hour being essentially all research. Uh, We like to have our questions come up through the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following, as though we are giving ourselves homework. I have never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever uh, you are listening to the show that accepts ratings. Uh, (laughs) If if you send us a, a screen cap 
of uh, of your review, we will send you a free holographic, no hugging, no learning sticker. Uh, we just need your mailing address and somewhere to send that to. Uh, or, you know, if you just want a sticker, just let me know. I'll send you a sticker. Does not matter. While supplies last. Um, that being said, Season 7, Episode 17, The Friars Club, original air date, March 7th, 1996. Uh, I was three years, two months, and 16 days old. And Tim, if you count this episode and every other episode we have left, we've got 50 episodes remaining until we become an entirely Charles Grodin podcast. I think somebody needs to catalog the history of the Charles Grodin show, at least. (laughs) Just just a watch-along podcast for the Charles Grodin (laughs) show. It, it's exactly. it's in it's in real time. Uh, yeah, you, you you time the episode to start when our <laughs> podcast starts. Yes. Yeah, there needs to be an oral history of this show at least, and I think <laughs> we'll contact CNBC for the masters. I'm sure they haven't recorded over them or anything. I'm 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 sure they're definitely just still sitting on a shelf on a on a VHS tape somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, that that doesn't seem like it's a priority to transfer over to digital. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to get a like a Betamax player or something. <laughs> to watch uh, it. Oh, okay, so if you are looking in TV Guide the night of March seventh, nineteen ninety six, you are going to see Jerry's relationship with Susan's best friend is impaired by a jacket. Ooh, I kind of like it. Okay, we'll see if it holds up at the end. But right now, it may be one of the best they've ever done. Uh, all right, we start with the stand up bit, and I. Loved this because I, I I did not remember it, and I had no idea that you know <laughs> r- r- that people could relate to it as well. But it's about when the sound of your alarm is incorporated into your dream. Has this <laughs> ever happened to you? No, I don't. I don't think it has. Mostly because I don't. I don't, I don't have any songs set as my alarm. Not anymore. Anyway. Yeah. I I hardly ever wake up when I have music set as my alarm. Um, Interesting. So now, so now I just have a a light, gentle, but it it is an alarm tone. But my brain can differentiate ah. the difference. The only way I wake up to music is if it's like like hardcore or like death metal. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. I, so you have to have an alarm, like a repeating alarm sound. Yes. But even um, those, I feel like, have entered my dream before, you know? Or, or it doesn't have to be music. Like, I remember a specific dream where, this is weird, but I was at, like, a drive-up window, but it was in space, and I was in, like, a car that could fly. I know, yeah. really weird, but <laughs> I, I distinctly remember this, like, this was a dream, but I remember, the like, a guy sticking his head out the drive-through window and talking to me in my car, and the words he was saying were the morning radio show that I was waking up to. Like this was in high school. This was like twenty years, twenty over twenty years ago, and I still remember this dream. And I used to wake up to you know a morning radio show, and the guy was talking. And then I woke up, and and all of a sudden the the the, the words were continuing because it was on the radio. And I was like, that was weird. But yeah, it happens all the time with music and everything. That like Jerry says, you know, like he's one time one he's talking to Marie Antoinette and the the guillotine falls and she's singing solitary man by Neil Diamond or something like that <laughs> I I don't know if you noticed this as well um uh, just the almost complete lack of response from the crowd at, yeah. at Jerry telling this joke this was it was weird like I thought so too <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a few people giving him like golf claps <laughs> but and maybe like a few snickers but this is not like a good like yeah we'll put this as the stand up scene at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, you know? what does it have to do? Does it have anything to do with the doll or with 
um, this episode? Like, not sometimes a thing. Least, no, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> and 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 also, I was like, I didn't even know it was relatable enough to make a stand-up bit out of. But I love that it was. But maybe it's not. Maybe just me and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> just you two. We're the only two people. <laughs> the only two people in the entire world that this has happened to. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for you, Jerry. But I, I, it's so bad that. First of all, the scene goes on too long because he goes, you know, he he sets it up and then he does, you know, Marie Antoinette, solitary man. And then he says this. And I thought, that's not my alarm going off. This is actually happening, which is the premise again. Like he'd like uh, he describes the premise again, like just in case, like maybe they're not laughing because they didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> See, I how I thought this was going to end. And I think this would have made it much funnier is that and Marie Antoinette's head lands in the basket. She opens up her mouth because, you know, you can talk for a few seconds after your head is chopped off. And her final words, her last dying breath is eh, eh, eh. Uh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, I like I do like that better. Like that's an actual punchline. We've been ta- we talked a lot about that uh, the last couple episodes. A pun- punchline. Um, but but you know and, Jerry doesn't yeah. do punchlines. So <laughs> exactly, uh, what he does is just explain the premise again dryly <laughs> after after what would be the punchline. Marie Antoinette singing "Solitary Man." That's funny. But no, explain the premise one more time. <laughs> Uh, so we open out on the street. George is running down the street ecstatic. The first thing he does is kick a cab door closed, which I would imagine would be like a quick way to get your ass kicked by a New York City cab driver. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he, he, it's not even just like a standing like, yeah, I'm just going to like gently like kick this. No. He drop kicks this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He jump. He jumps and kicks this cab door closed. Uh, and he's ecstatically running down the street. What I love after that is like there's a missed high five, too. And I don't know whose fault it was, either George or the guy on the street. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. And it's so much better that like that wasn't the break of the scene, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. like ne- neither neither Jason Alexander or the extra was like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think the extra was caught off guard by, you know, by Jason Alexander's. <laughs> Like what's his hand motion like because he kind of he does raise a hand and the guy's like, oh, we're going up for a high five. But no, it's not. It was more of a like, (laughs) you know, raising your hands in victory kind of thing. And so George runs by and the guy's like left hanging. (laughs) (laughs) I think they both are to blame for that. It was it was an odd interaction. it, It makes it so much better given given the George character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's dancing in the street with people. He's yelling. He's yelling. It's June. It's June, and uh, up in Jerry's apartment, we learn that George is telling Jerry the catering hall screwed up and the wedding has been delayed until June. Which, could you imagine what an absolute nightmare that would be in, like, real life? Yeah. Like, imagine getting hold of everyone you invited to your wedding saying, hey, it's actually going to happen two months later. Not, uh, not the date that we gave you. So you either have to like send out new invites or just make sure you contact everyone personally. That yeah. sounds that sounds like hell. Yeah, and, and uh, like we know from the last episode, like wedding gifts are already being delivered and stuff. Like that's how close it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, airline tickets have been had to have been booked. I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. But George is excited because as he calls it, a stay of execution. <laughs> And uh, and then Jerry says Dead Man Walking, which had to have been funnier at the time because I was like, because no one knew Dead Man Walking until the movie Dead Man Walking that like that maybe maybe they don't even say that on uh, Death Row. But, um, you know, that movie Dead Man Walking came out. Have you heard? You, do you know that? 
I I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's John Penn, know. Susan Sarandon, I think. It anyway, it came out in 95, so the year before this movie. So it was still like kind of a funny punchline to say Dead Man Walking. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um and Susan's best friend Hallie broke up with her boyfriend and the wheels are in motion to hook Jerry up with her. And Jerry's like, hey, why don't we go have dinner at the Friars Club? He's thinking of joining because Pat Cooper is, uh, you know, vouching for him and sponsoring his membership. Uh, And Kramer comes in and he says, I got a hot date. So wake me up in 20 minutes. He's got a hot date with Connie and he needs to wake up in 20 minutes because he's been reading this book about Da Vinci that he slept 20 minutes every three hours, which gives you two and a half days of being awake every Every week. week. (laughs) You you caught Extra. um you caught Kramer's line here. Uh, he's like, I'm reading a book by Leonardo da Vinci, and you know, <laughs> da Vinci means from Vinci, right? <laughs> Jerry's just like, wow, that's some book. I know, I I loved that line, and I also I love it extra because there's a mystery science theater movie that has Leonardo da Vinci in it, or a character, a Leonardo da Vinci character, and he says, you know. And you don't, he's, he just, it's this guy who introduces himself as Leonardo. And then he's like, uh-huh. well, yes, I'm from a small town called Vinci. And the, the Mike and the bots go, oh, God. Oh, God. And they start playing, they start playing up like, uh, yeah, so I was thinking about being, uh, you know, Leonardo de Pensacola Beach for a while. And then, you know, they, they start playing off the, just how dumb that, that line was. Do you, remember, do you remember what movie that is? It's called Quest for the Delta or Quest of the Delta Knights, something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Quest of the Delta Knights, I think. Yeah, from a small town called Vinci. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so so that's it. So Kramer is sleeping twenty minutes uh, every three hours. Uh, over at Jay Peterman. Oh wait, is this? I want to say. Um, wait, when does it? Okay, it, it's later. Never mind. I want. I thought I brushed over something George said, but it, I think it's later. Uh, so over at Jay Peterman. Bob Grossberg is joining the team, and he's from Business Affairs. And Bob Grossberg is played by Rob Schneider, which is is wild. Is this um? I think this is after Home Alone two. So so Rob Schneider is no longer a nobody, but he's uh, he's still kind of like playing that that Cedric character, where he's not really Rob <laughs> Schneider as we know him yet. Yeah, um, you mean a stapler? <laughs> That's one of my what? favorite. Uh, you remember when um, that's uh, uh, South Park made fun of Rob Schneider movies? How they kept coming out with like oh Rob Schneider God. is this, Rob Schneider is that. <laughs> oh yeah, and, yeah. Rob Schneider is a carrot, or yeah. Or there's one where he becomes a, there's a movie trailer where he's a staple or stapler. I mean, I remember that now. Holy and eventually, and eventually, because I, I was, you know, I mean, I was going to the movies during that string of like I never saw the Hot Girl, but I went to the theater to see the Animal. When he yeah. starts exhibiting, I don't even remember what the plot oh, is, but Rob Schneider is the animal. And it, eventually in South Park, it devolves into derp, 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 Rob Schneider, derp, derp. I still, I, that still cracks me up like all these years later. <laughs> that was probably like season three of South Park or something, if that. Uh, I, th- I think that's a lot later than you think it is. I, really? I, it's probably, wow. I, it, it's probably like season, f- mm, when did South Park start? Oh uh, God, like 95 or something. Yeah. So you're right. Maybe it isn't. Yeah. Might be like, because I remember watching that episode. That might be like season five or six, maybe seven. Rob Schneider maybe? is a carrot. <laughs> Rob Schneider is a stapler coming to theaters because fuck you. Uh, um, 
Oh, uh, it's uh, the biggest. Oh, it was from the episode "The Biggest Douche in the Universe," season six, episode fifteen. Oh, I was right. Yeah. Season six. Holy hell! <laughs> two thousand two. That would have been two thousand two. Is that's not where? Um, that's not where Stan can't enjoy anything anymore. No, right? that he's one was older. much later. Okay. No, yeah, that one was okay. like that because that's all about Lord. I think that's when Randy uh, is, is. Oh yeah. Um, revealed to be Lord. Oh. <laughs> That's when, like, that's the season they started experimenting with, like, uh, a, a a full season-long story arc instead of just, yeah. like, single uh, episode-long stories. I love that, too. The yeah, yeah, yeah on a Wednesday or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Lord. <laughs> And I love that Lord. I love that Lord embraced that too. Like she was posting Instagram videos, like you know, singing that song. Just doing that. Just doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, why wouldn't you? If like you had a song that was like "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm" and my name. Yeah, she like, she, re- that'd be she recorded. She recorded that song for the show. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm that's feeling awesome. Good on yeah, a feeling Wednesday. good on a Wednesday. That's what it was. Oh man. So anyway, uh, anyway back, back to, to what we're Park. actually talking. Oh, about. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Rob Schneider is a carrot, and uh, Jay Peterman assigns the, or he's trying to assign the copy editing and fact checking for the new catalog to Bob Grossberg. But every time he tells him to, they're at opposite sides of this uh, this conference table, and also Bob Grossberg is wearing a, a hearing aid, and he keeps you know saying maybe not pretending but like um what is it you know he's like i can't hear you he's like motioning that he can't hear him and yeah. one more time so eventually jay peterman just gives up and assigns the whole project to elaine as bob starts like messing with his hearing aid over at the friars club jerry needs uh, they they show up for dinner but jerry needs a jacket so he has to uh, borrow one and he borrows one that has this really cool crest on the breast of the jacket and I've kind of always wanted to go to a restaurant where they lend me a jacket. Yeah, but then again, think of this. If they lend you a jacket, they're already judging you because you didn't know the dress code for showing up. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I guess maybe I want to go. I don't know why I want to be lent it because I was like, maybe I just want to go to a place that requires a jacket. And like, no, that's not it. I, I really want to go and not have one and need one. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to go and be underdressed. <laughs> So yeah. that I'm already being judged by all of the staff. Yeah. So that I have to wear like a lice ridden one from the Lost and Found. <laughs> I, I really want to go and get a jacket that is uh, three inches too short in my arms, <laughs> but also four inches too long in the torso somehow. The other time I know that my other touchstone for this particular thing that I've only really seen in movies is um, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson. And he plays like the uh, germaphobe guy. And he's like... I'm not wearing that. And he has to go like buy a brand new jacket to like wear to this restaurant. He leaves Helen Hunt sitting there for like, you know, an hour or however long it takes. <laughs> so at dinner, Jerry and George are having just some dumb conversation. Their usual dumb conversations. And Susan and Hallie are engrossed in their own conversation. Um, and one funny thing that George says, or Jerry says to George is that the dumbest thing he ever said is that Steve Croft from 60 Minutes might be the same guy from Seals and Croft. <laughs> and oh, I kind of want to look that up. That and uh, George thinks he could totally coach for the NFL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of want to look up. First, I want to look up what what is the Friars Club? Do you know? No, I have no idea. I, the only yeah. thing, the only um, reference I have for Friars Club is the roasts. Yes, yeah. Um, is is it here. that Friars Club? 
I think so. Yeah. So like, what is it? It's it, and and obviously we get a little bit more context when Pat says like, you know, are you an entertainer? Are you in show business? So it's some sort of we're we're, we're going to have to do a little homework it, on it, the Friars it's Club. Some, it's some sort of like members only club for uh people in the entertainment industry I, i'm guessing uh men in the entertainment industry uh yeah yeah that makes a little bit more sense yeah and, and it's just like a, a dinner club like a private dinner yeah. club and and they roast you sometimes i don't know <laughs> uh but we'll do we'll do a little dive on that and i also want to see if steve like if steve croft was in seals and croft because that would be really funny i i highly i still highly doubt it because i don't know what steve croft looks like and i don't know what seals or croft looks like uh, from the musical group, so uh, I'm just going to put that in uh, okay. as well. We're probably okay. it's probably going to come up pretty dry, but um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so back up in Jerry's apartment, Kramer. Uh, Jerry walks in, and Kramer is on the couch at 10:30, and he had fallen asleep, just basically passed out. It looked like while, while reading something, uh, and Jerry forgot to return the jacket to the Friars Club. Uh, but Kramer is ecstatic about it. He's like, all right, you know, I got the whole night ahead of me. His new sleep pattern is making his brain mossy, as he says. He's very fertile. He's coming up with great ideas. I love that he's he starts making himself breakfast. He's like, all right, I got to get something to eat. And he grabs cereal, and Jerry's like, breakfast? And he's like, it's the most important meal of the day, Jerry. And it's Fruity Pebbles in like a punch bowl, like a punch bowl <laughs> size serving of Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> like the least healthiest thing that you could eat yeah. if it was, in fact, the most important meal of the day. Uh, and he's like, what do you think about this? Uh, a restaurant that serves only peanut butter and jelly, and it's called <laughs> PB&J's. And yeah, but I swear, I'll write this down too. I swear that did happen. I don't know whether they got the idea oh from Seinfeld, but I feel like that happened maybe even in New York. Um, you know, we'll find I out. Wouldn't, if there I was. wouldn't doubt it somewhere. Yeah. But like Jerry's line back to Kramer's, Kramer, Kramer's just like, well, what do you think? Jerry just says, I think you need more sleep. <laughs> yeah. He's also uh, talk, talks about his new woman who doesn't want to leave doesn't even want to leave the apartment, doesn't want to go out with Kramer. And he thinks it might be because uh, he, she doesn't want to be, be seen with me. And J then Jerry's like, well, now you're being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Which Kramer doesn't realize is sarcasm. Over uh, back at Jay Peterman, Elaine is grinding uh, away at the catalog. And it seems like she's misplaced something. And that's pretty much the end of the end of that scene. Yeah. I guess she, it's just, just to show her... Yeah. I think she's just like really struggling with, with the yeah. edit, I guess. I guess that's it, just making it seem like, man, she's working, pulling late hours. Like, conceivably, maybe it's 10.30, the same time that it just was in Jerry's apartment. You uh, know? So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Back up in Jerry's apartment, Kramer, uh, in, in Jerry's bedroom, uh, Jerry's rarely seen bedroom, Kramer sits on Jerry's bed and wakes him up. It happens to be 4 a.m. <laughs> because he's so bored. He has all this free time now, and he doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> and he wants to know if Jerry wants to like rent a movie or something. And Jerry's like, he wants to go back to sleep. And I love Kramer's, I love his delivery of the line like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> Not to mention like the last scene, Kramer saying, oh, I've got all these ideas on the hopper. I, my, 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 I, I've, got, I've got so many things to work on. And <laughs> yeah. that night, he's, he's already bored. Yeah, he's bored at four in the morning. Uh, back at Jay Peterman, Jerry shows up to have lunch with Elaine, but she is still stuck at the office uh, working on the catalog. Jerry then like picks up Elaine's picks up the lunch that Elaine was going to eat at her desk and starts eating it himself. I thought that was very rude. <laughs> <laughs> Even for Jerry, like yeah, you know, yeah. she can't leave. She made a, a a little sandwich on white bread for herself, and and you're taking it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> 
Uh, Bob Grossman, uh, Grossberg, sorry, Bob Grossberg sticks his head in. Is it and, is it yeah. Grossberg? That, I wrote down Ghost or uh, Gossberg or something at first, but then later on, I I think I heard an R in there. What were you hearing? I I, I thought it was Gossberg, but like I yeah. I was just going on like the first time Peterman said it, and I was like, maybe it is Grossberg. I have no idea. That's what I wrote down the first time too, and then every subsequent time I, I heard the R in there. So okay. yeah, we'll have to might have to double check on that. Um, and uh, Elaine is suspicious of his earpiece because all the work that he pretends possibly pretends that he can't hear about gets dumped on Elaine uh, because he can't hear. And Bob he can't hear Elaine asking for help. Potentially, we don't know. Uh, up, but so Jerry uh, gets up to leave and. He just stops at the bathroom first, and Bob is in there having what seems to be a very relieving piss. I mean, Rob yeah. Schneider's facial expressions are <laughs> are euphoric. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's going on for a long time, and it, it's it's almost like he's never had this amount of relief when peeing. Yeah, it it really is. Um, it's weird. And you know what it reminds me of a great Rob Schneider? I think it was, yeah, Rob Schneider. What was the character he played on SNL? <laughs> I think it was like seriously something as dumb as premature ejaculation guy or something like Jesus that. Jesus Christ. And every everything everyone says to him makes him uh, have an orgasm. <laughs> Holy fuck. And so he shows up to this party and like he just keeps like, you know, making that motion that I, I will spare our <laughs> listeners of doing myself. <laughs> but um yeah it, it just reminded me of that skit and eventually like um rob schneider has such an intense orgasm that he falls out a window <laughs> so kids that's what snl was like in the early 90s <laughs> now we just get an hour of political uh air quote comedy yeah political uh, echo chamber yeah i still watch Every week. Yeah, it's just just an hour of, hey, here's literally verbatim what happened on CNN this week, but <laughs> yeah, with Beck true. Bennett instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jerry walks in to this scene and tries quietly kind of to get Bob's attention, but Bob doesn't turn around or no, he's like, hey, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, how's it going? Hey, Bob, you know, like that kind of thing. And he doesn't turn around or anything like that and, and, and doesn't even notice Jerry's in there until he's done with his very euphoric uh, urination. So Jerry runs back into Elaine's office to tell her that he may have flinched, but he can't be sure. It may have been on the zip up. So he doesn't know anything. And Elaine's like, all right, great job. <laughs> so no, uh, uh, it's only muddied the water, I guess. <laughs> Uh, back up in Jerry's apartment, George is beaming after their double date night, and Jerry is nuts about Hallie. Uh, he's, uh, you know, and George is like, yeah, look, she's beautiful, she's intelligent, got a great sense of humor, and I love that Jerry's like, I don't know, I didn't really talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> he just loved, I mean, he's he mentioned to George that she could be it, and... <laughs> It's all just because he was able to ignore her while George and him talked and while Susan was able to talk to Hallie. <laughs> that and George's line, we can be like the Gatsby's. Didn't they always have people over? <laughs> yeah, that's the line that I thought I, I brushed over earlier. It's like, they always had people around and they were best friends. And I love Jerry's like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and that's o that's only funny to me because no, I haven't read The Great Gatsby, but I did see the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Of course, of uh, course. 
Yeah, and so I know how now I know how actually funny that is because <laughs> he thinks the gats. It, yeah, it's, it's just funny how George has misinterpreted that or misremembered it maybe from high school. But uh, not a lot of people know this, but um, Leo is from a small town called Caprio. <laughs> you son of a bitch <laughs> I mean I couldn't just leave another Leonardo hanging there without referencing especially Leonardo D something or other uh, I mean he's got to be from Caprio right <laughs> well played well played I, I, I give you some gruff for your puns once in a while but that was pretty good <laughs> I'm so glad it came up <laughs> um so let me see oh uh the whole gang's gonna go now to a show did george say a show that she's working on yeah yeah okay yeah she's working on the flying sandos brothers so i'm guessing she works for the theater then right yeah it must be that, okay. that's what it seems like yeah and i'm gonna i'm just gonna write them down right now because i know we're gonna have to figure out what exactly is going on with the flying sandos brothers and what that is based on it seemed like it seemed like something that would be odd to be on broadway but um, yeah, I have a feeling it 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 is referencing something at the time. I don't know what. <laughs> did uh did you catch uh the the ADR here? Yes, yeah. Uh, Walking yeah, down was, to the Friars Club, okay, or whatever. Say, it, it's not quite bad ADR. It, it's definitely more uh, excusable than than other examples of bad ADR we've had. But yeah. like, you can clearly see Jerry's mouth <laughs> is not moving whenever he says "Walk me down to the Friars," and yeah. George is sure. While his back is turned. At least it wasn't Larry David trying to do both both voices, which is what oh we got my in the God. past. <laughs> I, I kind of wish it would have been. <laughs> yeah, I, I did love that. You know, walking down the front, sure. And they had such a short amount of time. It's like it's rushed, you know, because they had such a short amount of time to get that line in because George goes immediately into talking about even like uh, uh, reserving an apartment for Jerry yeah, and Howie yeah. to move into <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> like oh talk about God. dumping the gun but yeah walk me out of the fryer sure <laughs> they've had one date yeah i know could be it though uh but the jacket is missing jerry can't find the jacket and kramer comes in and the jacket's at the cleaners because i love this was so i love this line too uh he dozed off and woke up in a pile of garbage somehow and Jerry goes, somehow you've had an hour and 20 minutes of sleep in three days. <laughs> I loved that line. He's so, well, somehow I, and then he woke up in a pile of garbage. I just love, <laughs> I love that visual and just everything about what might've led up to it. It just, your mind races at the prospect of how that happened. And, and I love, I woke up in a pile of garbage somehow. Uh, it reminds me of a great Star Wars meme right now. Somehow Palpatine <laughs> has returned. I want to make a, a Seinfeld Star Wars crossover with, you know, somehow, <laughs> you know, with Kramer saying somehow Palpatine returned or I'll work it in. I'll work it in somehow. Okay. Uh, but, then, but then Kramer dozes off standing up, leaning on Jerry's uh, counter. <laughs> so it just appears that literally any time his body <laughs> stops moving, he is asleep. I mean, I think we've both been there. <laughs> Oh yeah for, sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, those four a.m. wake up calls. I mean, that's <sighs> what, if, like if I don't, if I'm not, like if I'm, I will, I'll just collapse. Like I'll just be sitting there, and Declan will be putting a puzzle together or something, and and then I'll like wake up. I'm like, oh well, I guess that was my nap for today because <laughs> if if I like stay still for more than five seconds, or after any time after one p.m., uh, <laughs> that's it. My body is just like, we're shutting down. We're it is nap. It down. is nap time now. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the middle of the Liberty Tunnel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could happen. I've gotten I've gotten tired on the way home at like noon. Oh, <laughs> like, oh boy, God, yeah. I'm not gonna make it. 
Uh, so back up at Jay Peterman's, Elaine goes into Bob's office, and he's facing the opposite direction. He's facing the camera, and she comes in and asks for help with some boxes that they're moving, and he doesn't react. He seemingly can't hear. So she starts coming on to him, talking about how sexy he is, right as Jay Peterman walks by, <laughs> and Bob never turns around. No. Uh, meanwhile, over at the Flying Sandoz Brothers, which is apparently playing at the Lunt Fontan Theater, I was able to find out, Ooh. at 205 West 46th Street. And before the coronavirus pandemic shut down Broadway, it was home to the Tina Turner musical. <laughs> there was a Tina Turner musical? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what everybody does once they get to a certain point in the career. Like, can we uh... write a Broadway musical around the songs that have already been written and people know them and they'll come? Yes, we can. Okay, great. Let's do that. You know, I mean, is ABBA, Billy Joel, even Alanis. I can't believe Alanis Morissette has oh, one. Oh, man. Is that considered Broadway or is that considered just off Broadway? I think Lund Fontaine is on Broadway. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a Broadway-sized theater, I think. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, because Tina Turner is a, is a Broadway musical. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain it is. But, but yeah, I mean, all those... Um, What's the, I know there's another one I'm forgetting, but the Alanis one is the one that I'm like, that looks like it was written. It looks like it was written by Alanis when she was like the age that she wrote Jagged Little Pill, because like that's mm. all the music is from that album. And I'm like, that's like the angst of a late teens, early 20 girl. And I'm like, it just looks cringy when you put it on already a Broadway stage, which you have to like get a, a past a certain level of cringe to enjoy Broadway anyway, I feel like. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's already pretty it's already like overwrought and you know it, it i'm like it, it just seems like it's not for me it's not for me yeah. but i think people love it people love that alanis musical <laughs> um where in the hell oh so the flying sandos brothers yeah um they are in are in box seats for this double date and jerry shows up in his jacket from the friars club because he's going to return it after the show and the flying sandos brothers come out and they just kind of start spinning on this little stage <laughs> Doesn't look like a great show at first. I'll no, admit. I, I, I was wondering like what they were supposed to be doing. Like if you if you want like your your big like first appearance to be some grand act, yeah. this is not it. Yeah, like I bet when you see like Cirque du Soleil, I bet the opening to that is like mind blowing. But this yeah, was I'm, like I, I'm sure it's not four dudes the- spinning around with bowling pins. Yeah, like that's something that my kids would do. Like they would just spin in a circle <laughs> in our in one of our rooms and then fall but, down and yeah. But now, Tim, imagine paying three hundred dollars to watch that in a box seat. Uh, I kind of like that. Kind of like mm. the sound of that. Okay, I I, uh, I I I knew your mind would change. <laughs> uh, over in Kramer's apartment, Connie uh, just wants to stay in again and starts uh, you know putting the moves on Kramer and really he um. He doesn't seem that into it. I don't know. I guess well, I don't know what's going on. He's like, oh, this is a risky business or something like that. I, I think it's just because he's so tired. Yeah, that's probably it. That's probably <laughs> it. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> uh, back in the theater, the, the the Flying Sandos brothers are finally doing something. They're juggling. And I'm like, all right, this is a legit act. Like these aren't <laughs> when they first came out. I was like, oh, these are just like extras that look Eastern European. Like, no, like they're they're doing Something. That's why I'm like, all right, something's going on with these Flying Sandos brothers <laughs> that are real. They're real performers, you know. <laughs> uh, and they then they climb on each other. This is another trick. I'm like, all right, they they you know uh, they they climb on each other up into the box seats where Jerry and everybody are sitting. And I love this. He's like, how would you people like to lend a hand for our next trick? And Jerry goes, I don't think so. Like right away, <laughs> I. 
And it was the same I don't think so that he gave Kesha when she asked for a hug. I was like, oh I've seen that, God. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the exact same response that she got. I was like, uh, I don't think so. Like, God, I... I <laughs> Could you imagine, like, that would be a g- great episode of modern day Seinfeld. Where he he rebuffs a hug on the red carpet and, and the from fallout. Kesha. From Kesha, yes. From Kesha specifically. <laughs> from Kesha specifically. It has to be Kesha specifically. Yeah, I, I think that would be great. I would have loved to have seen how the gang, you know, uh, advised him and things like that. How would you like to lend a hand for our next track? I don't think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just love how, it, and it would like ruin the show if Jerry didn't do it. Like, the guy is up. What does the guy do now? You know? <laughs> yeah, he could have taken George's jacket. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But he gets Jerry to take off his jacket, and then he does a little magic trick where he's going to make it disappear, but he <laughs> just throws it over the balcony into the crowd below. <laughs> Uh, cut back to Kramer's where he has just completely passed out on top of Connie who assumes uh, rightly so because she can't she can't get him to wake up or anything uh, even when she lifts his head up from the other side of her face it's like just non-responsive it looks like he's lost all muscle power and she assumes he's dead and she calls a guy named Tommy because she can't call the cops or else Joey might find out so now we know why she didn't want to go out in public with Kramer mm-hmm. because she's sleeping around on this guy Joey I- but she needs Tommy's help because this guy died on top of her. And I don't know how, but I literally saw this gif yesterday of her trying to push Kramer up. You see his asleep face and then he just falls back down. I had no idea what it was from because oh, yeah. I had not watched the episode yet. <laughs> and what was the caption? Because I saw the same thing. I have no idea. I, I, I don't know if this was on Reddit or or Facebook or something. Yeah, or, or, or even on Twitter. Like... Um... But I know it was captioned. Ah, damn it, I can't remember. But yeah, it had a <laughs> caption like "me, me win," blah blah blah, or whatever. <laughs> 19k upvotes. Yeah. Uh, so back at the theater, uh, the gang is backstage, and Jerry asks one of the Flying Sandos brothers for his jacket back. And this Flying Sandos brother just kind of like fucks around. You can tell everybody's laughing at Jerry, and I got I got so angry mm-hmm. for Jerry in this situation. <laughs> also, like. Why would Jerry go to the performers? Like, why wouldn't he go talk to the person who caught it? The the person that he made eye contact with that he saw still had the jacket. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he went down there and and that guy might have been gone. I mean, to make it from the box all the way down to the front row, um, you know, he was probably like, all right, well, that guy is not there. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, something must have happened off camera that made it think that made us think that, or maybe he did see the guy, and the guy was like, "Oh yeah, I gave it back to I gave it to a stagehand or something like that." Yeah, I don't know. It it seems weird, but I, I guess having exhausted all other ways of finding it, that's I would eventually end up there. I guess. I guess yeah, <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't be the first place I would go. <laughs> right, right. But I I did hate how this guy was like, uh, maybe it was another. Oh, some other guys have left. Uh, maybe it was them, yeah. and like everyone's laughing at him, and so I understand how. You know, later on, he'll use the word turned off. Like, you know, Hallie says she'll get the jacket back for Jerry. And George is like, oh, great. Yeah, see, she'll get the jacket back. Everything's great. Let's go get coffee. And Jerry's like, uh, nah, I, th- I think I'm kind of tired. I'm going to go home. Like, so it, it ruined the night for Jerry. And I, I don't think he's in the wrong here. I, I mean, he's not in the wrong. But, like, the way he was going about it, he came off as being a total dick. <laughs> well, someone was just a dick to him. Like, the Flying Sandoz brothers were total dicks. I, d- d- I mean, they they... <laughs> if whether or not they're dicks, he's still being a dick. You can be a dick after being a being dicked over. Who do you, do you think he's being a dick to the group? 
Yes. Not going after. Oh, okay, okay. And but I and, to, and to yeah. Hallie, I guess. Yeah. But I, I will kind of agree with him later that she could have been more, you know, concerned about it, you know? I mean, she says she'll get it back. She says she says it'll turn up. Jerry says, oh, I doubt it. Jerry, trust me, I will get it back. At yeah. that point, I would have been like, okay. Uh, and, yeah. and not and not just, nope, nope, it's gone forever. Nope, it's gone. Yeah. No, it's gone forever. I'm going home. I'm going, I'm going home. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. But I, I do love that Susan's like, oh, George will go. <laughs> and now George is like, <laughs> well, cut to monks where George is just like sitting there oh in basically God. awkward silence until they have a, a short conversation about shoelaces and George needs to get some tonight. But Susan will get him tomorrow. Brown, maybe black. I mean, it's it's torture for George. <laughs> N- not only that, but like the waitress comes over. It's like, more coffee? She doesn't even finish her sentence. And George's <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, nope, check, please. <laughs> yeah. And back up in Jerry's apartment, two, he, as he's walking in, two guys are carrying out a body wrapped in, obviously wrapped in a sheet. <laughs> and Jerry goes, that nut is always up to something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love moments like this where it's essentially like that's our kramer God. <laughs> which we've had a couple times uh-huh. uh that nuts always up to something oh i think one other time was um the bet midler time i don't know if it was i don't know if he vocalized anything but when he heard bet midler singing from inside kramer's apartment and he was like uh, again like that was a that's our kramer kind of moment <laughs> <laughs> That and uh, God, I think it was sometime this season, but it seems like so long ago when Jerry and George both like motion to the door and they both go, that's our Kramer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, Yeah, they, they did. They did that little like exit motion for him. Yeah. I forget what it was. But yeah, it was it was very much another that's our Kramer moment. Um, And the two guys dump Kramer's body off of a bridge and then really they're not any big hur- in any big hurry. I thought if you were going to like dump a body into the river in New York City and you were like stopping on a bridge to do it, you might be in a little more of a hurry, but yeah, they just kind of like, like saunter back to their car. The the trunk like opens up and they very slowly get their business done. It, it was it was really weird. Like, th- this is this is not how I've seen it depicted in every like mob movie where like you already have the bucket of wet cement poured. You you grab the person out of the out of the van, immediately put them in the cement, throw them back, run back to the van, drive off. No, they, yeah. they like they leisurely walk back to the trunk, leisurely walk back to the car after they threw them off. It was a, yeah. it was a slow process. And it looked to me like it was the like kind of a boardwalk style like road that they were stopping next to. But I think for the purposes of the show, because otherwise the the cruise line bit doesn't or the ferry, whatever it is, like that bit doesn't play because it'd be way too close to the shore for Kramer to be scared of it at all. I, I'm guessing that they intended it to make it look like it was a bridge that actually crosses the Hudson River. And if, if that's the case, there's no pull off lane there where you can just kind of stop and <laughs> take, you know, one and a half minutes to dump a body into the with like several other cars passing yeah. by in the traffic yeah. like hey what's that what are those guys doing is that a carpet like n- no one no one would see him on <laughs> yeah. on the hudson river yeah but they do this and m- slowly make their getaway and kramer wakes up in a sack in the water uh, yells <laughs> mama yells for his mama and then he uh you know is is uh, put upon come upon by a uh a- ferry or something like that that is also in the Hudson River. Back over at Jay Peterman's, he gives Elaine two tickets to the Flying Sandoz Brothers show so that you and Bob can, uh, you know, cut out early since the show is for tonight. And 
<laughs> Elaine's like, well, Bob and I are. And he's like, Elaine, I heard everything. And I know you wouldn't be just having fun with his handicap. Why? That kind of cruelty would be grounds for dismissal. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's like no which, way out of it. No, which I, I want to believe that Peterman is setting this up as a test because he already knows that Elaine has tested positive for drugs. So she, oh, yeah. So he knows that she's kind of spiraling. Yeah, yeah. And that if, yeah, if she was having fun with his handicap or even like she can't even explain like, no, I, I just think he's faking it. Like that doesn't sound any better. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. No, I'm, I'm accusing someone uh, of, uh, you know, a handicap <laughs> that, of faking a handicap. God. Yeah. That, that doesn't sound any better. So she's kind of stuck doing this. Uh, back in the apartment. Jerry's chance at being in the Friars Club is essentially, you know, uh, just disappearing before his eyes because they're charging him $800 for the jacket. So why would they let a jacket thief in? And it's also, you know, going to he's got to deal with Pat Cooper, uh, who has vouched for Jerry. And now Jerry's acting like this uh, to the club. So he's very upset. And, and so Jerry, as as he's telling George in this scene, he's soured on the relationship with Hallie. And George reassures him that he'll get the jacket back or that she'll get the jacket back. And when she does, Jerry has to desour, and that's not good enough. He also has to sweeten. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this was like a typical Seinfeld thing where they say the same word over and over again, but mm-hmm. at least they're saying two words and then variations of another. You know, like I- I'm soured, you better desour. I want you to sweeten and desour. Like I, yeah, I like it- the very vari- variation. It's not just I've soured, you've soured, I've soured. How have you soured? You know, it's, yeah, it's exactly. not that at least. Yeah, it was it was a nice little evolution, and there was some some variations in the formula that I was like, this was very funny. I liked the way they did this. Uh, meanwhile, Kramer comes in looking awful. His shirt's ripped. He's still kind of soaking <laughs> wet, and he says that Connie tried to kill me, and. Um, then he says, uh, I don't know. You know, they, he doesn't know what happened. He's like, I don't know. I woke up in the Hudson river in a sack. <laughs> I did love his delivery of that line too. Uh, he's like, isn't it obvious? She doesn't want anyone else to, to have me. <laughs> That's oh why he God. was being murdered. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the reason. Uh, over at the Friars club, Pat Cooper, uh, who is a real comedian. Ted, do you know? <laughs> Is he? I don't know. Oh, I have no idea. All right, I'm writing it down. Pat uh, Cooper. I guess he's probably he's probably like some like C list rat packer that we should know. Oh, but. oh, probably. We're we're going for a string of three uh, 90 minute plus episodes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, and Pat Cooper just gives it to Jerry about how you know how he's vouched for him and now this jacket thing has happened and and I hated this scene he won't even talk to George because he's like excuse me are you an entertainer are you in showbiz then why are you talking to me Uh, if I was George right then yeah I would have like wrecked that place there wouldn't have been a stained glass window left I would have (laughs) tipped over the the host station I would have flipped every table like what oh my gosh what an absolute fucking cock Yes, yeah, especially like for a washed up nobody like Pat Jesus Cooper. Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, yeah, the, I was like, I was more incensed possibly than when the, the Sandoz brother was fucking around with Jerry, <laughs> like, pretend to be, well, what jacket? I don't remember a jacket, like, oh, you, oh, I two, oh, two, two of the brothers have left already. Yeah, yeah, uh, so much, so but, much uh, occasion for getting angry. <laughs> but we, we do get Jerry uh, blaming the missing jacket on on the gypsies. 
<laughs> which oh boy <laughs> yeah yeah i did think uh i was i i and i don't think that's the first time that word has been used on Seinfeld. i think it came up before and it always gives us a little pause you know <laughs> <laughs> because it's like i mean they're i guess yeah because he's using it to describe a guy who was obviously like a professional entertainer you know I yes mean, yeah. words that they've already used like so to call him a gypsy is a little bit of a of an epithet i guess <laughs> uh but they do spot one of the bro- i guess the brother from the show wearing a jacket with a crest on it and i love that he's seemingly telling the story of stealing jerry's jacket to the table that he's with <gasps> i he's didn't like even it in i didn't even way. pick up on that yeah, he's like he's like grabbing he's like grabbing his own jacket, like really making it seem like that's the jacket. And he like he he makes he makes a motion of like throwing it, and then he also like makes a motion of it like floating down into an audience. Oh my it, god! Yeah. So he's seemingly telling the story to the table of stealing the very jacket <laughs> that he appears to be wearing. And Jerry and George go to confront him, but they are stopped by a Mater D from going in because they're not members of the Friars Club. Again, I I think they I think George should have just completely wrecked the place at that point. Because you know what I mean? Like, that's George's thing. Like, if anybody thinks they're better than George, even if he believes it, if it's ever vocalized, oh, I mean, that's, you know, you think you're yeah, better than yeah. me? I mean, like, that's, that's, he said that, I think, several times. So the fact that this Pat Cooper guy, uh, but again, I probably, and again, uh, as, a, as a person who realizes he's a lot more like a stanza, uh, I would have been wrecking the place in my mind, then bitched about it all day to Jerry about what I should have done. <laughs> But I also would have remained silent just as George Costanza did in this episode. (laughs) And yeah, so I just want to make that clear that I would have folded like a house of cards, much like George. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Once I was told off by the Pat Cooper Uh, over at the theater, Bob and Elaine are there in a nice box seat. And Bob just like really starts trying to motorboat Elaine. Like he just goes right into the motorboat. (laughs) He he comes onto her by, by like... I, I wrote down by aggressively hugging her and burying his face in her chest. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah, and he does this a couple times before she shoves him off and he finally uh, walks away. Uh, and Jerry and George are backstage and they get in a fight with the brother who had the jacket. And as they wrestle it from him and he runs off, Jerry notices that there's a different crest on the jacket. This one has a moose on it. And Hallie is standing there uh, in one of the rooms and has the jacket. It got dirty and they wanted to dry clean it before they gave it back to Jerry. And then Jerry suggests, let's all go get some coffee. And Hallie says to George, I'll see you at the wedding. So Ooh. now she's showered on it. Yeah, but also, which, which is still four months from now. Because, again, <laughs> the wedding is not till June now. Isn't this information something that Jerry could have been in, in the loop on? Like, goes backstage and like... Oh, yeah, the jacket. You know what? It got a little dirty. We want to clean it before we give it back. Oh, you know what? It's not even mine. It belongs at this other restaurant. Like, I know we had to have this for the show, but if they were going to do something nice, like, don't let it be this surprise later. Like, give this man back the clothing you took from him at the show. Yeah, you know, you don't, or, it, like, or Hallie is such good friends with Susan. I'm sure Hallie could have said, oh, hey, tell Jerry or tell George to tell Jerry that we found the jacket. It's at the cleaners right now. Yeah. Like, why did it have to be a surprise that the brothers wanted to have it dry clean because it got dirty during the show? And like, here it is. Like, no, like, how about, you know what? I'll take care of the dry cleaning or it's not even mine. I'm going to give it back to the place. I don't care if it's dirty. Did you pick up on that the brothers turned it into the theater to get it dry cleaned or that the person who caught the jacket walked out with it and got it dry cleaned? 
Because I, I wasn't sure. It's the way Hallie says it makes it seem like the brothers. Mm, okay. I seem to I, remember. I don't have the exact line, but the way she says it, like made it seem like it was the theater or the brothers or the production in some way was involved. Mm, okay. I, I wasn't I wasn't sure. Yeah, but it it just seems like information that Jerry could have been consulted about at least and you know, then we wouldn't have had an episode, but it did it seemed really weird. Um and I think so and for that fact, like I think Jerry's in the right here to have been upset about it and like you know, doesn't have to be thankful that he has the jacket back and it's clean because I didn't ask you to do that. You know, yeah, I don't care yeah. if you thought it was a good deed. It turned out not to be. So how about about my clothing? Let me make the decisions. Yeah, because now Jerry's on the hook for 800 bucks potentially from the Friars Club. And uh, although $800 is nothing to Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> we, we, we know this. Yeah, um, it still isn't fun to just have to pay $800. Yeah, and also, like, losing out on being a member of this, I guess, prestigious entertainers club. Yeah, I mean, Pat Cooper's a member. Pat fucking Cooper. Do you people not understand how big that is? How could you not want to be is? a member? Yeah, my God. <laughs> you could have dinner with Pat Cooper every day of the week, conceivably. Oh, the, the dream. Pat Cooper. The yeah. dream. I know, I know. Back in the theater, in the melee, Bob's, with, with Elaine, Bob's hearing aid fell out. So Elaine picks it up and tries it on. It's at that point that more of the Flying Sandoz brothers uh, see George and Jerry and want uh, retaliation for the assault that happened with the jacket earlier. George and Jerry throw the jacket down on the ground and they run out an emergency exit. At that point, the alarm goes out, deafening <laughs> Elaine, who has uh, you know been turning up and fiddling with the hearing aid to the point where yeah. it uh, yeah it, it's who, very way too loud. Yeah, who now knows that Bob was not faking his his deafness? <laughs> yeah, it's real. So does that mean like he's just a creep and like thought he could motorboat Elaine or maybe Jay uh, Peterman told him? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You think you, which one do you think it is that he's a creep or that Jay Peterman said, hey, Elaine's got the hots for you? Why not both? Yeah. Why not both? Yeah. I yeah, mean, if, even if someone has the hots for you, you don't motorboat them on the first date within in, the first five minutes. In public. In public. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, all those things would happen maybe eventually, not <laughs> first five minutes of the first date yeah so i think it's he's a creep number one but also he got the he, he thought he had the green light from jay peterman <laughs> he's like oh this is a sure thing <laughs> uh we do get one more scene where kramer and two cops show up to connie's apartment to arrest her and i thought this was weird that if someone was wanted for attempted murder they can just go ahead uh, you know unescorted back into their apartment and do whatever they want no matter what they tell the police, like, she's like, oh, let me call my lawyer. And he's like, okay, go ahead. Like, <laughs> this is a homicide case. <laughs> yeah, know? like, I'm, I'm sure you would be arrested, then call your attorney at the police station, right? I think that's normal procedure from what, yeah, from the movies and TV that I've seen before. <laughs> Again, yeah. never having been arrested. I'm just going by what they do on Law & Order SVU, most likely. Yeah, uh, or, exactly. or also Criminal Minds, I think. Maybe is the other one Grace watches. Um, but I, I feel like this was one of the strongest uh, credit scenes we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a lot of layers to it. Like, it's longer than a lot of credit scenes that we've gotten before. So she goes in to call her lawyer. Okay, go ahead. Unescorted. Attempted murder <laughs> suspect into your apartment. Yeah, to do whatever. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> her lawyer happens to be Jackie Childs, who when he hears that Kramer is involved, he wants, whoa, wait a minute, Cosmo Kramer? I want nothing to do with it, and hangs up on her. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty good. And that's the end of the episode. All right. So what do we got this week for homework? Uh, We'll talk about the Friars Club and and what the deal is with that. Um, And... Steve Croft was the 60s minute, 60s, 60 Minutes correspondent in Seals and Croft. Uh, was there ever a restaurant that served only peanut butter and jelly? What's the deal with the Flying Sandoz brothers? They seem to be kind of legit. And what's, what's the, the deal, deal with-, with the Flying Sandoz brothers? <laughs> Why didn't we call the trivia and news and tidbit section, what's the deal? That I seems like know. a no-brainer. <laughs> kind, of, kind of seems like a real missed opportunity now, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> Uh, ah. And then uh, Pat Cooper. What's the deal with Pat Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> is it is it too late to adopt that name? Probably. Probably since we've been doing this for almost three years, right? <laughs> um, possibly. We'll, let's see how it plays next week. Okay. If we All even right. remember. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it we'll plays. See. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you like about this episode for cover art? Mm, that is a tough one. <laughs> I got to say, I hated Hulu's cover art because it's like literally just a picture of Kramer. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Some of the worst. Um, It could have been (laughs) any episode. But let me think. Um, Man, something with... Maybe something with them in the box with the jacket and if there's a good shot of of that happening. What are you thinking? Of with uh, one of the Sandos like throwing the jacket off? Yeah, yeah. The the Sandos brother (laughs) in the box with the gang and Jerry and grabbing the jacket and throwing it maybe. There might be a good shot of that. I don't know, but it might be (laughs) too far away. What do you think? Maybe either that or I was thinking of uh, the scene of Bob just aggressively motorboating Elaine. <laughs> I mean, that's good, too. What I don't like about that is that it's not, you know, the episode is more about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did like I did like the overhead shot of them eating at the Friars Club where just Hallie is talking with Susan. George is talking with Jerry. They're having this great dinner, but they're not talking to either of their dates i was thinking that too that popped into my head too all right i'll I'll see what i can make work a lot of good options all right so what do we want to do about the episode description let's hear it i think it was pretty good so it was jerry's relationship with susan's best friend is impaired by a jacket i think it's good i think it's okay i i like it yeah i I think it's totally fine yeah and also it's like it's so ambiguous like what could happen what possibly how you know why would a jacket cause any problems and also it's so ambiguous you remember last week i thought it was talking about kathy griffin because we had just had an episode with one of susan's good friends right right played by kathy griffin yep and then okay yeah so okay i i know we had this last week and i know i just mentioned it we get another episode description next week that somewhat seemingly plays into this episode. Are you ready for it? Yes. Okay, so next week we've got season seven, episode 18, The Wigmaster, original air date uh, April 4th, <laughs> 1996, almost a month after this episode. Wow. And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Jerry reconsiders buying a costly jacket by using what? Elaine's discount at the shop. Ah. And I, I believe you are correct in that it it directly plays off of the events of this episode. Oh, I does it really? Remember, in fact, I was surprised. Oh. I remember scenes. <laughs> what? I, I, I mean, because 
the description for this current episode had nothing to do with the previous episode, although it it, it seemed right. like it would. But this actually does play into the same episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I won't spoil okay. it, but I was actually surprised. I was like, I seem to remember, you know, Jerry going to buy another <laughs> jacket, and I was like, oh, I guess it must just take place in this episode. So, all right, uh, is that it? That's it. All right, for no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good.